Open, if you would, to John chapter 16. For a year now, we have traveled with Jesus and his disciples on their three-year journey from the Jordan River to Jerusalem. Chapters 1 through 11, known as the Book of Signs, gives us an overview of Jesus' work and ministry among his disciples and among the countryside of Judea and Samaria, Galilee and Jerusalem. And he does many signs and he does many wonders and he introduces God the Father and the kingdom of God to all who he comes across. These miraculous works were called signs specifically because they were designed to point the way to God, to point the way to the kingdom of God, to point the way to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, so that those who would believe He is the Son of God might have eternal life. That's why they're called signs, because they point the way. And if you remember our verse that has kept us going from day one, the whole purpose of John's gospel in John 20, 30, and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Throughout these chapters, Jesus provides for us insights and explanations of what is coming and what His coming means. But neither His disciples nor those around Him typically understand. Sometimes they get little insights, little snippets, but most, if not all, do not fully understand as he speaks about his father, as he speaks about his crucifixion, as he speaks about his resurrection, all through the gospel, they are missing what is going to happen. One comment of Jesus that John records again and again that confuses the disciples is, my hour has not yet come. And the disciples just want What is he talking about? And then in chapter 12, as Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, some Greeks come and ask to speak to Jesus. They inquire if they could spend some time with Jesus. And it's that that moment, it's though that experience, that event is a trigger for the gospel to come to its conclusion. Because Jesus says, now my hour has come. And that is where we are moving to very shortly. To the culmination of the hour of Jesus Christ. His crucifixion. The end of chapter 12, Jesus hides himself from the world, as John writes. 
And then he and his disciples make their way into a room where the Last Supper takes place. And it is in that room where Jesus, meeting alone with his disciples, because of his love for his disciples, because of his care for his disciples, because he is a good shepherd, he prepares them for all that is about to come. He has this long discourse chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and finishing up with a prayer in chapter 17, he is speaking to his disciples. He is going away. And he wants to prepare them for all that is about to come. And a a significant part of his preparation is because he is leaving. And those words alone. I am leaving. I will soon not be among you. I am going where you cannot go. Those words have a powerful impact upon his disciples. They've spent three years with him. Three years watching him do miracles. Three years watching him care for those around him, watching him reveal himself as the Son of God. They've been with him for three years. He has been a shepherd to them. He has been a friend to them. He is a Savior to them. Three years. And all their hopes and all their dreams about all the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God, all those things seem to be crumbling. Because Jesus says, I'm leaving. At the end of 15, going into chapter 16, look with me in, in 16.1. We'll look at actually verse 26 in, in 15, right before that. Jesus is speaking to them. Devin spoke on this a couple of weeks ago about the cost of bearing witness for Christ. Verse 26 and 15, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, their hour to persecute you, their hour to kill you, you may remember that I told them to you. Even as Jesus tells them that they will be put out of the synagogue, even as Jesus tells them that they could possibly even be killed by people who think they are doing a service to God. Even as he tells them these things, their hearts are sorrowful. Look at verse 
for the chapter 16. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with, with, I was with you. In other words, I didn't tell you about these things that were going to happen, this persecution and the, the possibility of being martyred for following me, for your faith in me. I didn't tell you because I was with you. Jesus had been with them and all of the, the, the persecution and all of the opposition to Jesus during their three years together, Jesus bore the brunt of it. The disciples never really bared that. And so Jesus never had to tell them about what was going to happen. And now he is. In verse 5, he says, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Even as Jesus tells them that they're going to be put out of the synagogue, even as Jesus tells them they could possibly be killed, their sorrow is grounded in Jesus leaving them. They can't get past. He's not going to be here anymore. When my children were young, when they were toddler age, they would very often struggle every time Meryl and I would go out on a date night or go somewhere. The moment the babysitter would arrive, tears would flow. It would, they, they would just lose it. And how do you leave the house when your children are just wailing as though you're never coming back? So, so Meryl and I would, would get them occupied with something and a toy and the babysitter on the floor. And then we would sneak out one of the side doors, the garage door or the back door. Just hopefully they wouldn't know that dad and mom would gone. And then when, they, when we were gone and they recognized it, it was the babysitter's responsibility to deal with it. <laughs> we were gone and I didn't hear the crying. The disciples are like this. They're like little children whose father is going away, whose parent is leaving, and they are besides themselves. When I watched the kids, (laughs) it couldn't wait for Marilyn to leave because they knew that with daddy, they were eating pizza and ice cream on the living room floor with a, with a blanket down and watching movies um, because they knew when, mo- when mom went away, we were having fun. It was to their advantage. And, and, and Jesus in verse 7 tells them, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus tells his disciples it is to their advantage that he go away because he will send the Holy Spirit. He will send the helper who will be able to do more than Jesus could do because Jesus was limited by a human body. The Spirit could do much more in the way of ministry than Jesus could do. 
He tells them these things to comfort them in their sorrow. Oh, it is an advantage to the disciples that Jesus goes away. And even as he warns them, he comforts them at the same time. And he comforts them with these words. Nevertheless, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Think about the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' world was limited to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The Holy Spirit's world is unlimited. The work that the Spirit can do in and through His church is unlimited. That we can fulfill what Jesus spoke of at the end of verse, the end of 15 in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. The world will know. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Spirit will bear witness. You will bear witness. You and I. If Jesus doesn't leave, if He's not crucified, if He doesn't make atonement for sins, if if He doesn't leave, the Helper does not come. But if he leaves, he will send the helper who will give them eternal life. As Jesus states in John 7, 37, he will dwell in them as Jesus states in John 14, 6. He will instruct them in John 14, 26. And he will empower them in witness that God, that Christ may be exalted. That is the importance of our mission. John 15 talks of the importance of our mission that we are to abide in Christ and Him abide in us that we might bear much fruit for His name. That is the importance of our mission. That He would be glorified. That all our work would be Christ-exalting work. And a few weeks ago, Devin spoke on the cost of our mission. The message from John 15, the second part of John 15, is that we will be hated by the world because of our witness. But that the Helper will come. And then in 16, Jesus helps us know what is the ultimate resource for our mission. That is the coming Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that He will work in us. 
The question this morning is, how do you know he's working in you? How do you know he's at work? What proof do you have that the helper is at work in you? What proof do you have that you are abiding in Christ and he is abiding in you even as the world does hate you? What proof do you have? Well, the proof is the exaltation of Christ and the witness to the world. See, the Holy Spirit has been given to exalt the Savior. Verse 8, and when he comes, when the helper comes, when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The title of this message is simply The Work of the Spirit. As we faithfully exalt Christ by our witness, we can be confident the Spirit will be at work convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. As we faithfully exalt Christ by our witness, we can be confident that the Spirit will be at work convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, there are two things that we see the Spirit does in this passage. The first is that He brings conviction to the world. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the beginning of the, the Spirit's saving work. The conviction of the world. Of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. D.A. Carson translates the word convict to one who exposes. One who exposes shame. Which is the work of the Spirit. It has to do with someone being shown their sin. Which is a gift of the Spirit. Having someone show you your sin is probably not on your New Year's resolution to-do list. Who can I get to faithfully show me my sin? That's what's called conflict in marriage. <laughs> The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to convict the world of sin. And it's why the world hates God. It's why the world hates Him because He brings to light out of darkness 
who we really are, who the world really is. The Spirit, the light of the Spirit reveals the perversion and the wickedness and the evil of the human heart. That the world might repent, might be shamed appropriately for the purpose of believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and that by believing that they may have life in His name. Now, we are not capable of convicting anyone of sin. Although, we try. <laughs> there was one time I just looked at Marilyn and said, please, let the Holy Spirit do it. <laughs> Only the Spirit can do that. But we are witnesses for Christ. We are witnesses for Jesus Christ by our very lives, our worship, our voices speaking truth. These are the things the Spirit uses to bring about conviction. He uses His church. He uses His people. He uses you and me as His witnesses to speak the truth, to speak the gospel, to speak to the world that the world might be convicted of its sin. That is the work of the Spirit. We are to bear witness. 15.26 But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who will speak truth to the world, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Who will he bear witness to? It will be bearing witness to the world. And you also will bear witness. You will bear witness. Because you've been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit, look at John 16, 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Not sin in general, but specifically for the ultimate sin of not believing in Jesus Christ. It is that sin which condemns the world. You remember back from our... Our message in John 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It is that sin, the sin of not believing in the name of Christ, not believing in Jesus, that condemns the world. And that is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to convict the world of that sin, of not believing in Jesus. Secondly, he convicts the world of, un of righteousness. John 16, 8 and 10. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And then verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. What does he mean by convicting the world of righteousness? Because that's the very thing the world is not. Well, the righteousness Jesus speaks of here specifically is the self-righteousness of the world, which was the problem for the Pharisees. 
Every time Jesus did the work his father had told him to do, as he spoke for his father, as he represented his father, every time he did that, the Pharisees opposed him and called what he did simply unclean. They were banking on their own righteousness. And Jesus is saying that, is, that was not righteousness. That was self-righteousness. They, as many people do in our world today, believe in their own goodness. I am basically a good person. The story is told of a Sunday school teacher whose assignment was to explain to the six-year-olds in his class what someone had to do to go to heaven. In an attempt to discover what the kids already believed about the subject, he asked a few questions. If I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale, and gave all my money to the church, would that get me to heaven? No, the children answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me to heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well, then he said, If I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and loved my wife, would that get me to heaven? Again, they shouted, no. Well then, how can I get into heaven? And the boy in the back row stood up and shouted, you gotta be dead. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, And all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. There is not enough good that we can do to be be righteous as God requires. Righteousness is not a human possibility. But only through the atoning work of Christ dying for our sins. The Holy Spirit was sent to convict the world of its attempt at being good. And declaring its own righteousness. Before you got to be dead, you got to be saved by Christ. Because Jesus goes to the Father, as he says in verse 10, it's clear that he alone is the righteous one. Because no one else could go to the Father. And his righteousness alone is what declares their righteousness unrighteousness. It is Jesus' righteousness, brothers and sisters, that clothes us. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ. It is that righteousness when we believe in Him that we are clothed in, that at judgment day, God does not see our unrighteousness. He sees Christ's righteousness, clothing every one of us. So the Spirit's work is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He convicts the world, thirdly, of judgment. Sadly, the world has judged Jesus Christ and his church. Totally unaware that it is believed not in Christ, but as Jesus says here, the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world who is to be judged. Because it is this ruler of the world, the devil, 
who encourages rebellion, who encourages unbelief, and who will be justly, rightly, and eternally condemned and punished. The world's judgment of what is right and wrong, the world's judgment of what is true and not true, the world's judgment that there are no more moral absolutes, the world's judgment is totally wrong and perverse. And the Spirit's responsibility is to convict the world of that kind of judgment. This is the world-convicting work of the Spirit. But secondly, not only does the Spirit's responsibility to convict the world is also to bring truth to his disciples. Look at verse 12 in chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uniquely in this passage, Jesus is speaking of the truth soon to be revealed to his disciples through the writing of Scripture. This truth-revealing work is unique to these disciples at this time. It is a unique work because once the scriptures have been written, the canon of scripture is closed. It is perfect. And so these words right here do very specifically refer to this time when the, the word of God will be written as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But revealing of truth is always a work of the Spirit. Even in believers today, and as believers, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit will bring illumination and revelation to the truth that is in this Bible. Skip Ryan said of the Holy Spirit, he said, his job is to remind us of the best that has ever been spoken, God's own words. It is not just Jesus' own words, but the whole of Scripture. He teaches us in all of it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, who helps us to understand the meaning of what we read and hear. He gives us Jesus himself, the infallible interpreter of his own words. This is an amazing promise. Listen, at this time, the disciples are reeling. They're reeling from knowing that Jesus is going to leave them. They're reeling from understanding that crucifixion is what is standing before the Savior. There is so much more Jesus could tell them at this time, but but he says they are not ready. 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What a wise and compassionate Savior. Because they have yet to be receiving and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because, but that's okay, because the Spirit is going to finish what Jesus is promising here. You cannot bear them now, but when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. That's the promise from the Savior to these men. But even 2,000 years removed, It is a promise that the Spirit comes to us. It's only after the cross that the disciples fully began to understand what's happening. D.A. Carson says of verse 14 where Jesus says, He will glorify me for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He says that taking what is mine and making it known to you does not simply mean that the Holy Spirit passes on what Jesus declares, but but that all revelation bound up in Jesus' person and mission are pressed home on the disciples. In other words, Carson is saying, look, it is at this moment when Jesus is saying, look, you've been with me for three years. You've watched me. You've eaten with me. You've struggled with me. But yet, there's, you don't know all there is. But that's okay because I am sending my spirit. I am sending me. I am sending God, the spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God himself is coming to dwell in you. Here is the greatest promise. Paul writes in Ephesians that the spirit is the seal, is the guarantee of God's work in our lives, of God's promise to be fulfilled. Here is the Spirit who will come and He will dwell with you. He will dwell in you. And He will work through you. Jesus says all these things And in just a few weeks, in a few chapters, we're going to read, has the disciples at his crucifixion all scatter. Peter, even to the point of denying knowing Christ. But after Pentecost, Peter's not the same guy. After Pentecost, Jesus, through the Spirit, reveals all to Peter. Listen to Peter's words at the end of his life. After Pentecost, after the birth of the church, in the midst of persecution, as the gospel is being spread, words he would have never spoken prior to 
having the Holy Spirit come. Listen to these words in 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These spirit-inspired words which are in our Bible are needed today. He is telling others what has been spoken to him by the Spirit so that they won't falter. These words are for you today so that you won't falter. As you work to bear witness to Christ, to exalt Christ through your gospel witness, as you face persecution, as you face opposition, as you face judgment. All that is written in this book is inspired by the Spirit. That is what Jesus is talking about at the end of 16 when he is saying, listen, the words that Jesus is giving are not just any words They are these words. That's what he's giving to to the disciples. The very words that the Spirit has heard from Jesus. Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you, that's the disciples, things that are to come. He will declare to you. The Word made flesh, the Word who was and is 
and yet to come spoke through the Holy Spirit to Peter and others to write this Bible so that you sitting here today could hear Jesus speak to you personally. Do you get that? Jesus speaks to his disciples and tells them the Spirit will speak to them. And in that speaking, they will write down these words so that the very words that Jesus spoke more than 2,000 years ago are speaking to you at this moment. And they are perfect words. Peter again writes in his second letter, 120, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a perfect Translation: The Holy Spirit has perfectly translated the words of Jesus Christ. Many times when I am in India, especially, and I am speaking and I have a translator, I will say, and the Lord came. And this Indian over here will be speaking for five minutes. And I'm thinking, I didn't just say that. What? I mean, I don't know if he's ordering pizza for everybody or if what I said is what has really been said. It's not a perfect translation. But the Holy Spirit who is God, perfectly translated the words of Jesus. So when you read your Bible, when you meditate, when you memorize Scripture, you are memorizing the words of Christ. And all this for the purpose of exalting Jesus Christ. Verse 14. The Spirit's job, He will glorify me. Christ's exalting work is the work of the Spirit. Bearing witness for Jesus, loving Jesus, treasuring Jesus, these are the things that exalt Him, brothers and sisters. That is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, is to exalt Christ. And the Spirit's only doing what the Father and Son have already been doing. In John 5.23, the Father exalts the Son. In John 14.13, the Son is no less concerned to bring glory to the Father. The work of the Spirit among these first disciples was to bring all truth, ultimately that the Scriptures might be written, Now, this no longer happens today. Scripture is no longer being written today. Scripture is infallible, inerrant, all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-knowing. I mean, Scripture is it. We're not writing Scripture today. But we need the Spirit's illuminating power that we might understand this Bible as we read it. That we might come to treasure Christ as we read his words, that we might come to love him as we read his words, that we might come to understand him as we read his words, that we might come to exalt him as we 
Read his words. Brothers and sisters, let our endeavor be to know Christ more each time we open this book. Let's pray. Father, thank you for fulfilling the promise of giving the Holy Spirit. Thank you for fulfilling the promise of giving us truth. Thank you for the promise that you would keep speaking to us as you do through the scriptures. Lord, we are grateful and we ask that as we leave here today, our thoughts about you would be Christ exalting. Our words about you and about one another would be Christ exalting. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.